Right now on Amplified, the Engineers Journal podcast, we're about to meet the Managing Director of Tobin Consulting Engineers, Kieran McGovern. We were talking earlier on about um, National Sports Campus, where you have a very, very large building. But down in, in, in Connacht, they would never have been able to get themselves to a position of providing a, a fixed structure. We looked at the capital envelope that the client had in that particular situation and to use a phrase, we had to make our brains hurt a little bit in terms of covering that pitch and providing a, a controlled environment and a training area that people could use irrespective of the weather in East Mayo. Hello, my name is Dusty Rhodes and you're welcome to the Engineers Ireland podcast where we speak with our community of creative professionals across the country about how engineers are delivering sustainable solutions for society both now and in the future. Today we're finding out more about the man at the top of one of our long-standing civil and structural engineering practices with a 70-year pedigree. It's Tobin Consulting Engineers. A sharp intellect, endlessly curious and always with an eye on the future. It's a pleasure to welcome Managing Director Kieran McGovern. How are you doing, Kieran? Hi, Dusty. Good to uh, talk to you today. Indeed. Listen, tell me, a lot of people kind of forget when you're at the top of an organisation that somehow you had to get a break into the business. Do you remember that far back? I think it was um, probably a neighbour of mine originally was a civil engineer, um, a retired gentleman from the UK who came to live beside us when I was in my formative years, I think back you know, in secondary school and got to uh, hear loads about what civil engineering was all about and um, you know, I think probably developed from there. And I think I, I was lucky in a lot of ways, Justy, in, in that I had a, a good idea of what I wanted to do, go into my leaving search. I think a lot of people these days have huge choice that creates its own dynamic then as well, doesn't it? It, make, it makes it very easy where, when you know, but what I'm trying to find out is, how did you know? What was it about engineering that you went, boom, that's what I want to do? Well, I think I had a father as well who always had a, an interest in the building industry and probably gave me a nudge in that direction too. But I think you, you have to be comfortable with the science side of it and math side of it. And, you know, you, you know you, we define those things easy to deal with or you don't, you know. Now, if you were to ask me to uh, spend a lot of time in languages and French and, and German, I'm very weak in all those things, you know. So you got to find your own your own slot in, in terms of where you're, where you're comfortable. And I suppose it comes a bit easier then, doesn't it? So while we were all sitting there at the back of the class and drawing out the name of whoever was the band of the day <laughs> and their logo, what were you drawing in your copy? I'm not too sure was I um, drawing at all, maybe other than I might have been sketching up something that was going on in the back of my mind around uh, what's the next um, design or the next building or whatever it might be. I think I had, um, I'd say, notions of being an architect at one stage, but uh, probably had to get back into my box and just realise I was best at what I was uh, planning to do in engineering. So it's always been there for you and you, you ended up in Tobin and now you're the managing director. How did you get from there to, to where you are now? Yeah, I suppose, um, you know, I, I came in as a project engineer. I had about six years out in industry before I joined Tobin's at all in both the public and private sector and the local authorities. So I had somewhat of a blended approach before I got near consulting engineering at all. And it's just a question of, I suppose, applying yourself every day to the problems that are there in front of you and got a few lucky breaks along the way in terms of the the areas I was interested in, particularly on waste management and the circular economy, which were huge, you know, for a long period of time in Ireland. 
I suppose learning is, is, has been a big part for me as well in terms of, you know, professional development that I've gone through. Spent a lot of time on technical development, but also did an MBA back sort of, what is it, five years ago now at this stage, six years ago. So, you know, that really helped me make the decision as to whether to take the step into the, the MD role. So when you are kind of coming up through the company and you want to impress and the various projects that you're working on, was there one in particular that you could look back at now and you go, yeah, that was particularly good and particularly proud of that. What was it? Well, I think one of the ones I'm most proud of the t- today would be, um, I suppose, the National Sports Campus there in Dublin. You know, the National Indoor Arena, a lot of the infrastructural development that was done there because that has been set up to be right from the, the casual child going to gymnastics from the, for the first time right through to the elite rugby are there on, on the campus. You know, it's right across society. There's there's an opportunity there to, to use those. I suppose that's one of the things about engineering. You know, you actually get to take something from, which is a germ or an idea in someone's head right through to seeing people using the facilities and enjoying them on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. You also mentioned having a mentor. In what ways did a your mentor help you specifically? Well, I can think back to even back in 2014, I think I did um, some training with uh, UCG as it was at the time on managerial development. And um, it was only a, a one-year course. I remember we overlapped with some MBA students and it was probably enough for me at the time to say, I'm not ready to do that. But at the same time, it um, gave me an appetite for the managerial side as much as the, the technical side. That's what spurred me on to do the MBA then in, in 2016. So sometimes you just need nudges from a good mentor. I think you've just said it there because finding mentors is one thing. Finding a good one is another. <laughs> where, where do you look for mentors? Yeah, well, I think um, I know in our, in our own business, we, we would recognize the, the value of that and, and try to build it in into the way we, we do our own day-to-day, I suppose, performance management of our own staff. So we don't always use the phrase mentor per se. It's more around who's your manager? You know, are they the right fit for you? Are they giving you the right advice? Are they helping you develop your career? It's more in that space rather than the, the formal mentor title. I suppose we're, we're dancing on the head of a pin in terms of words, but it's just that that's, that's the approach we take in our business anyway. So from what I understand then, part of being in a management role with Tobin is that you also need to mentor the staff that you have as well as just making sure that they're getting things done on time. Yeah, well, at our core, we're a learning organisation, Dusty. You know, we're essentially, we're there to provide advice to our clients as to how to problem solve and deal with the issues of the day, um, how to get from the germ or the, the idea in somebody's mind. You take it from there all the way through the, the various stages of a project. So we need to have our own staff in a headspace whereby they see themselves as problem solvers, they're innovative, and they're aware of what technically is going on out there in the market, and how they apply these solutions to the, to the problems that are presenting themselves. So it's, it's that continuing professional development, that learning organization culture is one that has to be there right through a career to allow it to blossom. Um, certainly that's, that's the approach we take within our business. And it's a great approach to take as well. Do you think it's something common in engineering firms across the country or unusual? I think we, we certainly have had a culture within our business of taking that approach because we've seen the value of, you know, when you get good people, you hold on to them tightly and you don't allow them to go anywhere else. And the only way you're going to do that is to give them a, a rich career path as they progress through the organization. Do we see it ever else? Well, of course, you know, consulting engineering generally would be would be in that space because the, it's not a very big industry, you know. So it's you can't be too transactional in nature and just say we're we're bringing you in to do a job and you're going again in six months and mm. 
that comes back to bite you eventually because the, the pool of talent out there isn't, isn't that big. So these are the kind of considerations because we all think about personal development and, and, and training and, and further education because we want to go up. Yeah. You are up. You're at the top. When you're looking back down at the people who are coming behind you, are there, what kind of things are you thinking about when you're thinking about personal development? One of the things we've really focused on in the last while and in my role as MD is, is to make sure the business is, is, is looking closely on it, is particular, leadership development in particular. And that can be development in the technical space or in the managerial space. So we've invested a lot of time and effort in that. Um, we use a model called DCOM direction, competence, opportunity, and motivation. So that just provides a framework within which, you know, you take a structured approach to this. And here's the engineer coming out of me now again, because everything has to be a series of channels through which you go or ones and zeros that have to be uh, met. Mm. Some of the easy parts of that are the technical development. You know, what does the business need in terms of the skills that are out there in the marketplace these days, or the solutions that, that clients need to have solved? But I think that the more difficult one might be what are the interpersonal skills and communication skills and professional development requirements of an individual member of staff. Because engineers, by their by their nature, Dusty, I don't know how many you know, but typically are not good at putting ourselves out there and, and talking to people. We're more, in, I think we're happier to be in the in the back office, crunching the numbers and, um, you know, making it happen uh, quietly. So I'm just kind of wondering from your point of view, what would you consider the most important trends in engineering at the moment? Ireland generally is a traditional, I suppose, what would you call it, a hub, hub and spoke system in terms of transport planning out there. Um, Dublin at the centre of the hub and all the spokes emanating out from that. And I think we've had successive development plans that have looked at the need for balanced regional development. And I think that's really starting to come to the fore, particularly as we're emerging now from COVID. And we can see that as a nation, we don't all have to be sitting in an office these days we can work remotely so i think to learn the lessons of covid is really a, a trend or a, something that we 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 probably all need to uh, t- to grasp things like the national broadband scheme nationally that's been rolled out at the moment i know there's been some that are very strong advocates for it and maybe some that maybe don't quite see the the benefit of it but if we can get to a point where you know people can work locally live locally be part of the community you know rather than spending hours in a in a car commuting every day you know, that, that is going to also feed the dynamic of promoting electric vehicles. You're going to get rid of range anxiety then. You're not going to be so worried about having to commute for two hours a day. So these these things build on each other. So that balanced regional development is certainly one that um, I think there's there's huge mileage for, for the country to get its head around. What does the country need to do in order to do that regional development? Because everything is very... Dublin focused and we've seen Dart Plus now they're extending it to the west of the city they're talking about extending the tram out to the airport and, and to Swords and, and beyond where do rural areas get a look in how should they be treated well if you just if you think about the way we can work today that we couldn't work four or five or ten years ago you and I are both virtual today whereas 10 years ago we, we might have actually had to sit down in a studio together to to actually have this this discussion so why why do we need to have all those people in 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 cities per se we we, we really don't you know we can do an awful lot of the work we do more geographically balanced a lot of what ireland is doing these days is is in the professional services sector you know if you take the company we have today is a professional services organization we don't make widgets we sell people's time, really, is what we do. 
So our product doesn't need to be based in the centre of Dublin or Dublin or South Dublin, even though we have geographical presences there for, for our own staff. If you're always going to be thinking of investment planning around the next very large scale project around Dublin, because that's where the centres of population are, your best return on investment is always going to be those because you already have the people there. So it's just about thinking a bit more laterally around how to let people get on with what they need to be doing regionally. You know, they don't always need a huge amount of financial incentives. They just need to be given the tools to, to get on with it. And, and broadband is certainly one that'll, that'll help that. And what kind of other tools then do they need to be given to, to live their life? I'm, I'm, what I'm thinking is if you had a large plot of land 100 kilometres away from a major city, be that, you know, kind of Dublin, Galway, Limerick, Cork, wherever. It's it's in the middle of nowhere, shall we say, mm. okay? Um, what would you do with that space in order to attract people to, to go there? Well, think about the maybe the successes that Ireland has had over the last, um, you know, couple of decades. And attracting foreign direct investment is really one that we've had a lot of success on. What do they, what do they need? They need people. And, and they need probably green fields, as you've just described yourself as well. What do they also need? They need a planning system that will let work you know, get planned and get projects get planned. And we do have a planning system at the moment, which it needs further thought, I'd say. I think it's important that we get the right balance between giving locals a voice, but having certainty and outcomes for very large scale investment, particularly on a regional basis, is something I don't think we've quite got to there yet. Mm. Some of these Big green fields could be to do with, I suppose, climate action initiatives. It could be wind farms. So we do have a lot of objections out there to wind farms these days, and perhaps rightly so if they're if they're not in the right place. But we need to get that that balance regionally in in terms of the grid and where power is going to come into it and what is going to be used for. Sustainability is a huge thing at the moment, but it's kind of funny in that you say, "All right, let's let's build a wind farm," and then of course there's people, "No, we don't want one there." <laughs> what kind of sustainable solutions have impressed you? Well, I suppose we're we're quite um, heavily involved in all parts of the climate action plan itself, and sustainability is at the core of that. And you know what what are we trying to do there? We're trying to get to a point of emission reductions and, and net zero over an extended period of time. So. I think investing in our grid infrastructure in terms of power distribution is something that you know is need, needs a lot of attention and continue will continue to lead a lot of attention over the, the coming years. Getting people involved locally in in those solutions, such as you know um, electric cars and and um, the wind farms we've mentioned, their solar power generation, PV panels, photovoltaic. So you know there, there's there are a lot of opportunities out there in that that whole climate action space, which at its core, has sustainability. How do we leave the planet in a better place for our children than where, where we are today ourselves? So it's about, I suppose, executing on all those things that are there at, at mm. the moment. Um, similarly, with, with, with um, our building infrastructure and, and our housing stock and, and making sure that all of that is sustainably built mm. and is efficient and is in the right location for people as well where they want to live and work. Because you're in there as a big part of that planning that's going on at the moment for the climate, you must have to keep yourself very up to date with what sustainable solutions are available. How do you keep yourself up to date? Yeah, well, I suppose there, there's a push and pull there. One side is the sort of academic thinking on it and, and being aware of academically what the thinking is in terms of the best way to actually deliver solutions. Uh, we keep very close to um, suppliers 
we're always advocating for new technologies to, to be utilized, having a good understanding of that, and really then just trying to problem solve how do you apply some of those solutions into the, the problems that clients might be actually having out there. So if you take something like the, the project we had in GA Centre of Excellence up in, in um, Ballyhonis, up in, um, in, in Connacht, Connacht hmm. GA, where you have, I suppose, a tried and trusted solution of um, an air dome, which hadn't been used in Ireland. It's just an example of how you can apply you know, something that might be very conventional somewhere else to something that's very innovative in an Irish context. So tell me more about the air dome. Describe it to me. We were talking earlier on about um, a project such as the National Sports Campus, where you have a very, very large building, which in, in its traditional sense is a fixed structure. It goes over a very, very large area. Of course, it's there for a very long period of time. And um, it, that's one approach to actually how do you cover a space and have a controlled environment and you're heated and air, air flow and all of that through the building itself. But down in, in, in Connacht, the, I suppose when you look at the, the capital that was available for development of that particular project, they would never have been able to get themselves to a position of providing a, a fixed structure. Ah, so essentially the money wasn't there to do what you wanted to do, so you needed to come up with a plan. So tell me about the dome then, which was the solution. Yeah, well, I suppose you have options and you look at the different options and the different, they have, one might have a, a certain capital cost and it has a certain running cost. Uh, and option B has a, a different capital cost and a different running cost as well. So you, you tease all those things out. We looked at the capital envelope that you know the the, the client had in that particular um, situation, and, and I suppose we all had to make our, to use a phrase, we had to make our brains hurt a little bit um, in terms of what what could we do for the solution that was needed in terms of covering that that pitch and providing a, a controlled environment and a training area that that people could use every day of the year, irrespective of the weather in East Mayo. So. That was a question that I'm looking at some similar, I suppose, projects internationally where, you know, you have an inflatable air dome there, which is a, it's not a rigid structure. You know, air is artificially introduced into the structure and it has to be kept pumped all of the time and at a certain air pressure. As you walk around inside it, you don't notice that the air is, a, it, it doesn't feel any different to what you would normally see outside, but it's kept inflated all the time. That, when you sort of take it all together, as well, what do we need to do here to actually cover this facility, keep it at the right temperature, keep it lit? Here's a solution that we can apply to that particular problem that we had there. So, There's a video floating around online of that particular project, and I'll include a link to that in the, uh, in the show notes on your player right now if you want to have a look at it. As we've said, the world is changing very fast and has changed very fast in the, in, in the last couple of years. What's the biggest challenge that you are facing right now? Well, I think Ireland Inc. is probably still grappling with hybrid work in particular and getting used to how we deliver our work in, I suppose, a digitised environment rather than, a, you know, a legacy paper environment. Mm-hmm. We've all learned that we don't need to be hopping in the car to go to those meetings that we felt we had to go to or hop on planes for international travel that we used to do routinely and regularly five to ten years ago. Some, some people do work well in an environment where we're human, we, some people need the social contact, whereas some like to be left to their own devices just to get on with, with you know, the, the work that they have to do. And it's getting that mix right in, in terms of recognising how do you bring out the best in people and motivate them. And, you know, there's not a one size fits all. So I think, you know, we, we have a hybrid working policy um, within Tobin that is working quite well for us. Tell me more about it. Yeah, well, uh, typically we would um, ask staff to be available in the office two days a week when they're in a hybrid working environment, trying to recognise that 
mentoring and coming back to sort of passing on that knowledge to the you know your teams is is better in a face-to-face environment where you can imbibe information to each other without even realizing it you know it's the it's the water cooler discussions it's the walking down the hallway discussion it's the discussion over a cup of tea that very often imparts the, the pearls of wisdom that you don't realize that you're you're imparting to somebody we we generally like to have I suppose people who just who have just graduated to spend a bit more time in the office. Generally, we'd like people in in that bracket to to actually be in the office full time, and I think that generally seems to work quite well for us. In, in in that the average graduate who's in a rented accommodation, maybe with three other professionals who have just graduated, too, you know, they just don't have the space to be able to remote work, and it it works quite well. It happened. It was made to work during COVID for everybody, but in, in the longer term, um, we'd like to see people you know within that bracket in the office so that they can learn and, and develop and grow as individuals and then I suppose people like myself who are who have established relationships with my management team and you know we're comfortable in the virtual setting you know we can have less we can have touch points that are less frequent it's just something we're all learning on at the moment Dusty you know and it'll it'll evolve in time and there'll be push and pull on it so are you are you a hybrid worker how many days are you in the office I'm typically in the office about three three days a week yeah, typically. Um, now, th- those three days aren't always in the office. Sometimes they're out on site with clients and whatever it might be. So it, it flexes every week, you know. And do you find you get more done when you're working on, on your home days? I think if you have tasks complete, you know, certainly when you're remote, you can just put the head down and get on with them and, and that's fine. But it's not always that simple. You can, you know, you could do a package of work, um, find that you need a touch point with somebody if you just can't quite get a hold of them or, you know, you could go off and spend a number of hours working on a particular direction or make an assumption and then find, oh, really that wasn't the direction I should have gone mm. and come back then to, uh, I won't call it wasted work, but certainly work that had to be aborted potentially. So so there, there's, 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 there's pros and cons of it is what I'd say. Very good for, for like I said, getting transactional, getting packages of work done, put the head down, get it done. You don't have, you're not getting disturbed, but... Some people don't work well in that environment either, Dusty. So some people like the social contact. They need to be able to get up and walk around and chat to people in the office, have a cup of tea, and they work much better in that space. So um, there's not a one-size-fits-all, I'd say. We have been talking about mentors. Can I ask you to stick your mentor hat on now? What is the most important lesson that you learned in your career that you like to kind of hand off to people as as an example? I think it's don't be afraid to ask questions. And you might say, well, surely everybody knows that, but not everybody does does know that. So uh, don't be afraid to ask questions. Be curious about your work and the learning environment. Tease through options. Don't be afraid to be an individual and, and make suggestions. So, you know, there, there's, there are maybe a few points there, but at, at, at its basic uh, premise, don't be afraid to ask questions. It's probably the simplest one I could, I could give you. And finally... Engineers Ireland is kind of an unusual organisation in that it's not a collective of companies, it's a collective of people working within an industry. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering what is one of the most useful things that you have gotten out of being in Engineers Ireland? I was pushed a number of years ago to get involved in the regional committee structure of Engineers Ireland, you know, which is very much in the continuing develop, uh, professional development space. And that really helped me to develop personally as an individual through the Know, working with the, the committee structures, you might say, well, what have they done for me? Well, they, they've pushed me into a certain area maybe that I wasn't comfortable in being at the time. 
And sometimes you learn more in the spaces where you're not comfortable than you do where you are actually completely comfortable. So it's that's back to the mentoring side of it again and, and uh, pushing people where they don't want to go maybe is, is part of it too, isn't it? Kieran McGovern, Managing Director at Tobin Consulting Engineers, has been an absolute pleasure talking with you and thank you for making the time for us today. Thanks, Dustin. If you would like to find out more about what we spoke about on the podcast today, you'll find notes and link details in the show notes or description area of the podcast in your podcast player right now. And of course, you'll find more information and advanced episodes on our website at engineersireland.ie. Our podcast today was produced by dustpod.io for Engineers Ireland. And if you'd like more, do click the follow button on your podcast player so you get access to all of our past and future shows automatically. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you so much for listening. Take care.